Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. I can imagine that for Jesus here, This was a continual process everywhere that he went, these multitudes of people. And in the midst of all this jostling, all this crowding, a woman comes from behind and touches the border of his garment. Somehow she was able to press through all of these crowds. She was able to press through the needs and the busyness of all the world around her and all the multitude of people around her. And she was able to reach out in her need and touch Jesus. And she had a very, very great need within her life. Luke, the physician that we're reading here, Luke tells us that the woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Desperate times call for desperate measures. In the Gospel of Luke chapter eight, we meet a desperate woman who has been plagued by an issue of blood for many years. She has sought doctors and has spent all that she has to find a cure to no avail. However, this woman had heard that Jesus could help her. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that the woman's desperation propelled her through a full and needy crowd. God saw and was moved by her fervor. For when she reached out and touched Jesus' garment, she was healed. Now here's Pastor David as he begins his message entitled, A Desperate Faith. I have no doubt that in this room, there are people that pray. Some of you pray on an occasional basis. Some of you pray on a regular basis. Some of you might even pray on a consistent basis. And there's a few of you that pray on a continual basis, continually praying. I don't know for in your own life, But I do believe that in probably most every believer's life, there are some, and perhaps even for you here this morning, in recent days or recent months, you've prayed perhaps differently. You've prayed desperately because of situations going on in your life or in the life of loved ones where you've prayed some desperate prayers. And do we know what the difference between just praying regularly is and what a desperate prayer is? You know, a regular prayer, we just say, hey, thank you, Lord, just for your blessing, for your goodness, for the greatness of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for the abundance of your blessings that we see all around us, for the way that you move and you work and you, man, you, you formed us and you fashioned us. God, you are so good. God, would you help us out in this little area over here? God, would you reveal yourself as we look for you in this way? God, thank you for, oh, again, all that you are. We just come before you. In Jesus' name, amen, and we go on about our business. That's just kind of a regular prayer. But a desperate prayer is totally different. A desperate prayer is when we cry out, oh God, if you don't show up, if you don't work in this situation, we have absolutely no hope. No hope at all. 
When we pray desperate prayers, we don't pillar around with little things. We go right to the heart of the matter, don't we? We go right to the heart of the, of, of the, of the need, of the brokenness, of the, uh, the, the, the issue that's before us, and we cry out to the one, to the only one that we know can really and truly answer those kinds of prayers. Uh, we can look and see, and hopefully it's not a common occurrence in our lives that we're continually praying prayers of desperation, If that's your continual prayer life, you're continually praying prayers of desperation, maybe I need to hook you up with uh, Jim and Ann Orr for a little bit of counseling and just bring you back to the Word of God, get a little direction. Or or, or maybe your continual prayers of desperation is because you're making some really bad choices in your life and you're always being hit with the the consequences of those choices. Normally, for most of us, our prayers of desperation are on a continual basis. They just happen within our life as certain things rise up within our lives. But all of us, I believe, have to deal with these things at times in our lives. In the passage that we're going to be looking at today, and we're in the gospel according to Luke, and we're in chapter 8 as we've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 40 this morning. We're going to see where there are two people that come to Jesus with prayers of desperation, deep, powerful prayers of desperation because there's things that are going on in their life that call for that kind of a prayer. We're going to look at one individual. He's he's, he's Jairus. He's the uh, leader. He's the head of the synagogue there. And his daughter is dying. Word tells us that it's his only daughter. And through the context of things from Matthew and Mark and Luke all together, we kind of understand this might be his only child even. And she's dying. She is actually in the process of dying. She's not just bad sick. No, they understand she's in the process of dying. And those of you that have dealt with death before, you know that there's physical characteristics that come about on a person in those last moments or last days of, of life here. And as he comes to Jesus, he knows that his daughter is dying. And unless Jesus does something, it's going to be the end for her. Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, the second one that we're going to look at and the one actually we're going to look at this morning is an unnamed woman. But this woman has a desperate issue in her life. She has this embarrassing and spiritually and physically debilitating issue within her life. She has this continual flow of blood that was destroying her health, taking away all of her wealth, and setting her in this continual state of uncleanness. And she needed Jesus to heal her. She needed Jesus to make her clean. If you remember, as you've been following with us, Jesus and the disciples, they had just spent uh, some time over on the far side of the Sea of Galilee, over on the eastern shores, where they had met the man called Legion. Remember the one with the multitude of demons within him? And Jesus, again, uh, uh, spoke, and the demons came out of the man. He was healed then in his right mind and fully clothed. And Jesus told him, go and tell your community what's taken place in your life. You've got a story to tell to your community. And he left him with that as being an evangelist within his town, within his community. Now Jesus and the disciples, they come back over to the western shore. And as they come over to the western shore, once again, the crowds are waiting for them. We're in Luke chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 40, if you want to follow along with us. In Luke 8, beginning in verse 40, 
chapter 8, verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitude thronged him. They surrounded him. They pressed against him. Did you catch that at the very beginning as they, as they returned? The multitude welcomed him because they were all waiting for him. There was a multitude of people, I believe, that were always waiting for Jesus. They were looking for him to come into their community. And when they found out that Jesus was coming into the community, they'd go tell others. And so everybody would gather around. I could just imagine what was going on here this day as they'd been waiting for Jesus because probably many of them saw he and the disciples get in the boat and go on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And maybe they'd been waiting there for a day or so. And they're looking across the Sea of Galilee. Look, look, they're there. There's his, that's his boat, that's his boat. I remember, that's his boat. Here they come, here they, go tell everybody, get them over, here they come, here they come. And so the multitudes of people were there pressed against the shore waiting for Jesus. The guy never gets a break unless he takes one. And we read through the gospels every once in a while. He just has to leave the multitudes, doesn't he? He has to go and find a time of prayer, a time of getting alone together with the Father or rising well before sunrise. Many times we read of Jesus again, getting away from others because the people were always there. They were pressing in. They wanted something from Jesus. Maybe they wanted to just hear, oh, I want to hear him speak uh, again, just the, the oracles of God, the word of God. I want, I want to hear the very heart of God as he teaches. Maybe they were ones, oh, they were wanting, hey, that, that free lunch program. I, I heard that he gave out free food the other day. Maybe he'll do that today. And whatever the case might be, whatever the situation, maybe they were there for the show. Uh, oh, I, I hear he heals people. I want, to, I want to see this. I want to see what's going on here. And so they come. A multitude of reasons why people were there, but we do know that at least two of the people were there because there was desperation within their lives. And they knew that there was no other answer than this man, Jesus, who is now coming close to the shore. And so along with the crowds, they pressed against Jesus. And as this press came, Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, comes and speaks to Jesus, tells him about his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, and she was dying. And Jesus is getting ready to go and go over to Jairus's house and to minister and, and to, I believe, heal his daughter. Well, we know as we read the story to heal his daughter. But the problem is there's going to be a little bit of a delay in his going because of the need of another particular person within that crowd. And we see this in verse 43. In verse 43, we read, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, she came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus says, Who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, what? Did you realize? Multitudes are pressed against you. And you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Several interesting things that we see here. 
makes it really clear, again, that just the, the intensity of the time, of, of the place, of all the events that are going on. We read back in verse 40 that, again, the multitudes welcomed him. They, they were all waiting for him. Then in verse 42, we read that the multitudes thronged him. They surrounded him. I mean, just filled every place and space in order to get close to him. Finally, in verse 45, we read Peter and those that were with him says, Master, duh, don't you get it? Who touched you? I mean, everybody's touching you. There's people pressed all around you. I bring this to your attention to help you understand. There was a mass of people that were just clamoring to be and to see, to be touched by Jesus, to receive something from Jesus. There was a multitude of people with multitude of wants, multitudes of needs, multitudes of desires. They were pressed into Jesus from every direction. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Okay. Have you ever been to Disneyland the day after Christmas? Anybody? Let me, let me give you this hint. Ed, you okay. Let me, let me give you this. Don't do it. Do not go to Disneyland the day after Christmas. We did that once. I'll never do it again. And everybody that I can talk to, I'll, I'll encourage you, don't go the day after Christmas. You talk about crowds. You talk about a press of people everywhere that you go to be able to get to the ride that you wait for two hours to get into. And that's just the little kid rides. <laughs> Forget about the big ones. There were so many people there that they actually closed the entrance down at noon. No one else was allowed to go into Disneyland that day because there were so many people there. That's just in that place. I can imagine that for Jesus here, this was a continual process everywhere that he went, these multitudes of people. And in the midst of all this jostling, all this crowding, a woman comes from behind and touches the border of his garment. Somehow she was able to press through all of these crowds. She was able to press through the needs and the busyness of all the world around her and all the multitude of people around her. And she was able to reach out in her need and touch Jesus. And she had a very, very great need within her life. Luke, the physician that we're reading here, Luke tells us that the woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. She had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Ladies, you understand, again, all that's going on with her for 12 years. Mark tells us in his gospel record, she had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, and she was no better. As a matter of fact, she continued to grow worse. This was a desperate woman. In her time, and particularly in her culture, her situation had to be absolutely beyond comprehension for her. Was she someone's wife? Do you realize that if she was someone's wife because she was unclean, she was also unable to have relations with her husband for 12 years because of that situation? Was she someone's mom? Do you realize and understand she wasn't able to take care of her family in the way that she knew that she could and would have because she's not able to get out into the marketplace with the normal people because she's unclean. And if anybody touched her, they would be unclean. For 12 years, this woman has lived with this. She was ceremonially, religiously unclean and in her culture, that impacted everything about her for 12 years years. She couldn't have attended synagogue. She couldn't have gone to any community festivities or celebrations at all for 12 years. According to the gospel accounts, she had done 
everything that she could think of and possibly some unthinkable things to find a cure for this curse that was on her life. She sought answers even, I believe, in the religious world. And at that time and at that culture, she sought answers in the religious world. She subjected herself to, to some pretty strange stuff, uh, stuff that you and I would look at and say, man, that, that's superstition. Man, that, that borders literally on, on witchcraft. The rabbinical answer of that day, according to authorities that are able to historically go back and look, for them to deal with these kinds of curses, their cure was, was very strange, to say the least. One of the things that a rabbi would possibly tell her with her particular personal situation, she'd need to carry around the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in the summer and a cotton rag in the winter. Does that make any sense? And you do realize she's not carrying it around in her purse. Ashes of an ostrich egg, either in a linen cloth in the summer or cotton cloth in the winter. Another one might come up with another idea. Uh, another thing that they would do is you, you need to carry the barley corn, catch this, that you've dug out of the dung of a white female donkey. Makes perfectly good sense to me. Do you realize how stupid that really is? And how really uh, superstition, witchcraft even for that. And the embarrassment for this woman to do this kind of... Can anybody give me chapter and verse on either one of those cures? No, not at all. Not at all. How foolish religion is when it's founded and based on something other than the solid teaching of God's word. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen and I've heard stuff done in the name of religion, in the name of Christianity, that I stand back and I say, are you kidding me? And people fall for these things. They open themselves up to, again, the foolishness of man. Even in the secular world, nothing was working, yet many were willing to take her money. They'd, they'd take whatever money she had. Oh, hey, I think I can figure out a cure for you. How much money you got left? She had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all of her livelihood on physicians, the word tells us. All that she had and was no better, and as a matter of fact, she grew worse. Gang, to me, this speaks of the foolishness of man in how to deal with the problems of man. There's, there's a lot of issues within our culture that need to be dealt with in some drastic ways. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But too often, man thinks that if we just pour money into the issue, or, or if we just better educate the populace, then these problems will go away. No, they won't. We'll just have better educated fools, better educated thieves and robbers. And that doesn't change lives. There's only one thing that changes lives, and that's the power of Jesus Christ in lives. Lives that are lost, lives that are desperate need the power of Christ. They need a supernatural move of the hand of God in their lives. Have you ever grown so weary of your own personal sickness or maybe your own personal sin that you've taken the time and you've taken the efforts just to so fully press into the Lord, press past the crowds, Press past the needs and the busyness of the world and reach out to Jesus with the need that's in your life. 
Man might offer a multitude of options, but only Jesus can give you that final and true answer. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you realize, you know what? I just need to shut the TV off. I need to shut the radio off. I need to shut the world out. I need to come into the presence of God and in the presence of God, cry out those prayers of desperation. Because God, I'm not making it on my own. I'm not making the right decisions in my, in my own life. Things coming into me. I, I, I can't deal with them. I can't handle them. Lord, I'm about to break. I'm about to crack. And Lord, if you don't come in with the supernatural work of your hand, Lord, I, I, I just don't know. I'm in such a desperate situation. Verse 44 tells us that this woman came from behind and she touched the border or the hem of his garment. And immediately... Her flow of blood stopped. Now, how did she know that immediately the flow of blood stopped? Uh, I believe that she just probably felt it physically, that there was something physically that, that happened to her. And in the midst of her faith, in the midst of the situation, she knew, man, that, that's, that's when it happened. She probably checked it out later, no doubt, but she knew, man, it was, it was then. It was then when I touched him. That's when I know that it took place. She touched the hem of his garment. And she was healed. And to you and me in our Western non-Jewish culture, we figure she touched the edge of his shirt or his coat or a portion of his shirt. And we, we figure that's just a small portion of the story. Didn't, didn't she just come and touch Jesus and then she was healed? No, there's actually a lot that we miss in our Western 21st century Gentile world and what's going on here. If you'll bear with me just a moment, you need to understand that for the Jew of that day, they wore a garment called the talit, the tallit was, was a, a Jewish garment, and it was a covering that they would wear. Sometimes they would wear it on the outside, but many times uh, they, they would wear it actually underneath their clothes. But from that garment, uh, whether it be the robe or however, uh, if they were wearing a robe, they would probably wear it on the outside because on that tallit there on each of the four corners, there was a little tassel. There was a, a string of threads that would come down. They were called the tzitzit. Okay, you, you can look that up later. T-Z-I, T-Z-I, Y-O-T, uh, the tzitzit. Those little four fringes, one on each corner, they were placed there as a reminder for the Jewish men of the word of God and of the power of God. If you go over to Israel today, or even in a Jewish community, you can see Jewish men under their jackets. They'll have these four little tassels that are hanging out. All of this comes actually biblically from Numbers chapter 15. In Numbers chapter 15, we read that the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you're to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord in each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at and so will remember all of the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by coming after the lust or by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God. That's Numbers chapter 15, beginning of verse 37 and on. You can take a look at that later. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. 
Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word. from we-